Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. What up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition. It's Hardwood Handicappers. Perhaps, perhaps, uh, the penultimate edition of Hardwood Handicappers before the season comes to an end as the Golden State Warriors have taken a 3-2 series lead after what I thought was a really cool performance from Golden State 104-94, they get the victory over the Boston Celtics. Steph Curry goes 0-4 from three-point range, 0-9 to be exact. He and Andrew Wiggins combined to go 0-15. So, of course, the Warriors win this game uh, by 10. Not that Andrew Wiggins is some, like, barometer for three-point success, but it's just interesting that four of the five starters for the Golden State Warriors went 0-4. How about that, right? It combined 0-19 from Draymond Green, Otto Porter Jr., Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry. And yet still, they walk away with a win and are now one win away from another NBA title. And and again, we should start there because the Warriors are the winner. And from a narrative standpoint, just to open up this podcast, I I get it, it's a betting podcast, so you want to start with the betting stuff. But just to point out really quickly, because I'm a basketball fan, this is, if the Warriors win this series and pull this off and get another NBA title, I don't think they get enough credit for how cool this story really is. To what we've talked about, and I mentioned in the last podcast with Steph Curry, his legacy, the crap that he gets for no reason whatsoever about not having an NBA title, which, or excuse me, NBA uh, Finals MVP, which may also add very quickly on that point. I love how we criticize voters, and I'm one of them, uh, but we, we say these voters have nothing. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. But also at the same time, he's got to have an award that's voted on by these people that we say they don't have any idea what they're talking about. Anyway, so aside from the Curry stuff, what Steve Kerr's done in terms of his adjustments, the constant tinkering, the refusal, obviously, to give up and switch things up from a lineup standpoint. The core, of course, of Curry, Thompson, Green, what Clay Thompson has gone through in terms of his injuries, his recoveries. Andrew Wiggins 
his narrative and arc as a player going from a bust that everybody thought was just an absolute failure. Remember, he's supposed to be LeBron James number two or the second coming of LeBron, whatever it was. Teams giving up on him to this point now where he is a key cog and contributor for the Golden State Warriors back-to-back games in which he was absolutely brilliant. And again, last night, when you're talking about 26 points, 12 and 23 from the floor, and some really, really tough jumpers that he was making in that first half that kept the Warriors afloat. And in that second half, especially which what I called last night on the nightcap, the exclamation point, which was that dunk in the fourth quarter that essentially ended it and shoved the dagger in the side of the Boston Celtics. This is a really cool story, a really cool story. So let's talk a little bit about what happened last night and how we spin this forward uh, because uh, Warriors close at about a four-point favorite and they get, that, they get the job done. Game goes well under the total. And as I talked about on the edge and wrote about yesterday, uh, these unders I think are going to start to take the cake here in terms of um, – the series just slowing down, bogging down, defensively, all that coming around. So you've kind of seen that happen. But what you saw yesterday, and we'll obviously get to the Celtics side of things, but you know, Ime Udoka talked about this in the media availability last night. The Warriors defensively yesterday were really good for stretches. I mean, you're talking about aggressively, aggressively switching multiple situations, not allowing them to hunt Steph Curry. There were multiple, multiple possessions in which the Celtics offense would get bogged down because they were spending a majority of the shot clock trying to get Curry back over there onto their guy, and it just wasn't working. And I, I, I this was I called it when I was on with Gil earlier today, a vintage Warriors performance. And I think a lot of people think, I've said this before, a lot of people consider the Warriors to be an offensive team, and they surely deserve credit for being a great offensive team. But the core of those championship titles all those years ago and the core of this team too it has always been defense. Their defense has never gotten enough credit for how good it has been under Steve Kerr, and this is another year where that is the case. And last night, I thought it was brilliant. And you saw, to kind of build on the point of Steve Kerr and the adjustments that he is making, you see Steve Kerr willingly go in different directions, right? So Jordan Poole, for example. Poole, I think everybody thought was like a sexy finals MVP type candidate, had the potential to be a really big, uh, a good scorer and contributor in this series. Well, in this series, he's only averaging 12.8 points on 43% shooting from the floor, 35% shooting from three. And last night, he has 14 points on three of six shooting. He has the ridiculous uh, buzzer beater again from was essentially half court at the end of, was it the third quarter, uh, to give them... Um, a, a large, larger lead, I should say, going into the final frame. But you've seen his minutes steadily decrease in this series. Game one, he averaged, he had 25 minutes. Game uh, last night, only 14. And this is worth bringing up because clearly Poole is a liability defensively. And when he is out there, the Boston Celtics go after him consistently. And last night in 14 minutes, despite scoring 14 points and his team winning by 10, he only had a plus minus of plus two. And what we have seen now is Steve Kerr has kind of steered into this, you know what, screw this, Uh, we're going with Gary Payton II. Gary Payton II is a tremendous defender. Gary Payton II, when left open from the corners, there was one point where, and I was on the air and we were watching this off the air, I think it was at the beginning of the the game, so it might have been before the show started last night in the nightcap with Scott Seidenberg. But there's a moment on defense where the Celtics, I think it's Grant Williams, who's got Gary Payton II in the corner, and he helps off of him to help on a drive to the basket. And immediately, I'm like, you can't do that. Corner threes are his shot. And sure enough, that's the lone three that he hits. Not above the break, but those corner threes, he's really good at those. He grabs five rebounds, put together some really, really solid defensive stretches, also had three steals. Gary Payton II is a brilliant basketball player, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And Steve Kerr realizes that. And so he has steered more into the Gary Payton II minutes. Uh, You also saw 
a revitalized Draymond Green from being challenged, it seems. And not that Kerr went out there and said, Draymond, you got to be better. But you get challenged by getting benched for five minutes in the fourth quarter of a Game 4 victory. And so what does Draymond Green do? He comes out and he's Draymond Green. Eight points, eight rebounds, six assists, and the quintessential Draymond Green play. I think Zach Lover at ESPN calls it like the play-action fake, which is a really good term for it. In the first quarter, and he does this all the time, if you watch him in the regular season, Draymond Green loves those dribble handoffs at the top of the key. The Warriors love those dribble handoffs at the top of the key. But every once in a while, Draymond will fake the handoff like a quarterback and just sprint in the middle of the floor and go up for a layup, a dunk, whatever. And you saw it. It was a pump. It was a play-action fake. I think it was to Curry. And he just takes the – he just – goes with his dribble, goes straight to the rim, and finishes with an emphatic dunk, and to put him up, I think, 12-4. to And that's just kind of the difference here, what you saw in that game. Draymond was so much better. Gary Payton II put together some really good minutes over the course of the 26 that he played. Clay Thompson contributed in a really big way, 21 points, 7-14 from the floor. He was their best shooter last night, 5-11 of from three-point range. And all of this together around the fact that the Celtics changed it up a little bit, Seemed more willing to double Curry a bit. 16 points, 0-9 from three-point range. And you still, you still get a victory by 10 points if you're the Golden State Warriors. So that's what I mean by it was a quintessential Warriors performance. You had incredible defense. You had role players almost every which way contributing outside of a guy named Steph Curry. And it leads up and it builds up to a win and a 3-2 series lead in the NBA Finals and a potential fourth title for this dynasty. Uh, it, it was a really good Warriors performance. It, it was brilliant. So the Celtic side of things, which I think is very important to get to, obviously. Um, and you know, I got a I got a couple of this, uh, a couple of these on Twitter last night, which is like, oh man, you're so bought into the Celtics, it's hilarious. But when you look at what the Celtics did last night, and I keep using this with the Celtics, that they shoot themselves in the foot, and that is not to sell short what the Warriors have done. I mean, we just spent the first what eight nine minutes of this podcast praising what the Warriors did. There was a lot that the Warriors did in that series or in that game last night that led them to that victory. But when you're the Boston Celtics and you miss your first 12 three-point shots, you miss 10 free throws, shoot 67% from the free throw line. You commit, again, 18 turnovers. They fall to 1-7 and seven straight up in the eight games in which they commit 16 turnovers or more in this postseason. That is shooting yourself in the foot. And in that first half, it's something why, you know, I laid two minus 115 over at Circa and ultimately got a push in the second half. But the part of the reason why I laid two with Celtic, the Celtics in the second half last night was because when you watched what was happening in that first half, well, there were a lot of negatives. They came out sluggish. They weren't setting hard screens. There was no aggression getting within four feet of the basket. As Yudoka put it after the game, he couldn't even explain that weird start that they had to start, you know, at the beginning of that contest last night. But when you're missing wide-open attempts, when you're not getting aggressive and going to the basket and using your size, which was brilliant, the reason why you won that game in Game 3, like that you have nobody to blame but yourselves for the hole that you put yourself in because this is a good team, because they're so solid defensively that even there's going to be those possessions in which it is very hard for you to win some of those possessions. So you have to take the good possessions and take advantage of them, and they did not. Jordan, or excuse me, Jason Tatum. Not good in this game. Again, I thought there was a stretch in the fourth quarter that he looked really brilliant, especially in the third when he's hitting shots when they come out of the halftime, hit a bunch of threes, they take the lead for the first time in the game, all of that stuff. He had stretches. But ultimately, when you miss free throws on and one opportunities, which he did multiple times, uh, when you yourself commit, I think it was four turnovers, five turnovers, uh, Jason Tatum, yeah, four turnovers, uh, only have four assists, those are the things that aren't going to cut it 
if you are the Celtics. Him, Smart, and Brown combined for 13 of the 18 turnovers. Just can't happen, man. And that's exactly what this team does to shoot themselves in the foot again to use that stupid cliche that i got to stop using. Uh, How about this from ESPN Stats and Info? To speak again to the Celtics' mistakes, killing them. The Warriors, 22 points off of 18 Celtics turnovers in Game 5. The Warriors, 103 points off turnovers, are the most by any team through the first five finals games since the 1992 Bulls. And as we know, Boston, 1-7 with 16 or more turnovers in a game this postseason. They are 13-2 and two in the others. Think about that. The Warriors, uh, and let me double-check this. So they scored 104. The Warriors have not scored more than 108 points in a single game in this series yet. And in the series as a whole, they have 103 turn- points off of turnovers in the series. They, like that's it's 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 mind-boggling. And watching some of these turnovers too, throw like trying to fit tight passes in the baseline that aren't even there. Marcus Smart again with wild throws over his head to absolutely nobody. It's ridiculous the types of turnovers that this team commits, and they deserve to be in a three-two hole here. I'm not going to sit here and. Talk about like, man, the Celtics, they should be up 3-2. If they played their game, they should be. But they don't deserve to be when you're talking about committing turnovers at the rate that they are. And when you look at some of these, and this is the other part about this, because it's not just, you know, we talk about points of turnovers, and it's the way that they they score those points as well. Because this Warriors team, again, when we talk about their, their offensive struggles, last night the Warriors only had an offensive rating of 107.5. In half-court settings, their offensive rating was solid. It was 95.2, but for the series uh, as a whole, even including last night, it has not been good in terms of the half-court offensive rating for the Golden State Warriors. Not only do those turnovers give them opportunity, it gives them opportunities to get out and run, something that has been great for them in this series because they haven't been able to score in half-court settings with consistency. So not only are you killing your own possessions and giving possessions back, But at the same time, you're giving them scoring opportunities. According to Cleaning the Glass, off of steals, in transition, on offense, the Golden State Warriors, they've added 2.9 points per 100 possessions to their offensive rating in non-garbage time minutes in this series. They have an offensive rating of 146.9 off of steals in transition in this series. Those are the things that can't happen if you're the Boston Celtics. Absolutely cannot happen. So let's talk about this as we've kind of recapped a little bit of what we saw. Let's spin this forward from a couple of angles. So first off, I thought DraftKings opened up pretty low there on the number. Uh, DraftKings was the first one that I saw in terms of Celtics minus three, total of about 211. I set it on the air with Scott last night. That's low. I thought I made it four. Sure enough, as of this morning now, fours across the board. Totals now as low as 210. Westgate's got 210. That's a low low number on my screen at this point. The others, though, at 210.5. So it's not like we're that far off from that regard. Um, and one would assume that the situation speaks better for the Boston Celtics. Yes, you know, uh, they finally lose off of a loss, but this is still a team that is 7-1 straight up, 7-1 against the spread, coming off of a loss in this postseason. Um, what are they now? 27-12 straight up, 26-13 ATS coming off of a loss this year as a whole, if you include the regular season. So still a favorable situation and coming off of a loss back home. So that is something that will benefit this team. Um. But when you look at it from the situation, it does seem like it would make sense. And I would think that this closes in the range of four, maybe three and a half. Though. I mean, the public, I was talking about this with Scott in the air last night. The public has not budged in their support of the Golden State Warriors. So I don't think that'll manifest itself in terms of the number on the side from a point spread perspective. But you might see a pretty cheap money line on Boston in this game, uh, just considering the fact that the, uh, the plus 130-ish price tag on the Warriors is going to be pretty tempting to public bettors as we come into this series, or excuse me, into game uh, six. 
So I think it's a favorable situation. Uh, I won't back off the prediction that the Celtics are going to win this series. It's funny, you know, you, you get a lot of people but, <laughs> like laughing, dancing on the grave. Like, who cares, man? Hey, the Celtics, I picked them to win this series. Uh, there's obviously a chance they might lose when you talk about this. And when, like before the series started, multiple times I mentioned, I thought the Celtics should be favored in the series. By about mine, made it, I personally, uh, made it in the range of minus 120, minus 130 for the series. So it's not like I thought they were going to blow the uh, Golden State Warriors away. And I still have faith that this team is going to win in Boston and then make this to game seven and win in game seven. There's no reason to back off the predictions from what I believe is going to happen here. So you would think that this is a situation that is going to be a favorable one for the Boston Celtics. But at the same time, they've got to shore things up. Those turnovers can't happen. Jason Tatum's got to perform better, which leads me to one more aspect of this series, which is very much worth talking about, and that is the finals MVP market. Um, and it, it's it's a betting aspect, so it's I think it's worth talking about. It, it's I made this plea on Nightcap last night, and if you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please just listen to me for a second. Do not, do not go out and bet Andrew Wiggins at like 14, 16, 18 to 1 to win finals MVP. Do not do it, Okay. Andrew Wiggins, if the if the Warriors are winning the finals, Andrew Wiggins is not winning finals MVP. It is not happening. So don't, like, I almost get irritated hearing people talk about, like, Andrew Wiggins might be worth a stab. No, it's not. No, it's not. If Curry goes scoreless over the next two games and they win in seven if there's two games, he's still not winning finals MVP. He's not. So just save your money. Now, as far as the Celtics go, the fact that Jason Tatum is the favorite still to win this, when I say favorite, at least in terms among the Celtics, um, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous when you look at the prices and you see the gap between him and Jalen Brown continuing to grow. Some spots have Brown in the range of about uh, 18 to 1 to win this award. Others have him about 15 to 1. And when you look at it from the discrepancy, and I'll just use DraftKings odds because they're in front of me, plus 350 for Tatum, 15 to 1 for um, Jalen Brown, we're talking about an implied probability of Tatum to win this thing at 22.2% and 6.3% for Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown has been the better player than Jason Tatum. It, it is, it's not enraging, but it's like, come on. Like this is, and I get, again, I always say this about this market, liability's part of it, I get it. But Brown has been the more consistent player than Tatum. Tatum has not been good in any way whatsoever in this series, other than a four-minute four stretch, it seemed, last night. But, let me just throw this out there for those who are in the jurisdictions that have like William Hill would be in New Jersey and whatnot. Some guys don't have, or some spots don't have Robert Williams listed anymore for a finals MVP. DraftKings doesn't have him listed anymore. But let me just read you this number here. And this goes into what I think that the Celtics need to do as we move into game five, game six. This is from Law Murray. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, Law Murray, the NU. Uh, works for the uh, Athletic, covers the Clippers. Uh, really good writer, really good stuff up on Twitter, worth a follow. Through five games in the 2022 NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics are outscoring the Warriors by 31 points in 126 minutes with Robert Williams on the floor. War- Will- uh, Warriors are outscoring the Celtics by 42 points in 114 minutes with Robert Williams off the floor. So again, Celtics winning by 31 points in 126 minutes with Robert Williams out there. Warriors beating the Celtics by 42 points in 114 minutes without Robert Williams out there. I think we're kind of, if Udoka, and Udoka has been kind of stubborn in this, you've got to adjust. You've got to change. And I think one of the main changes you're doing 
what he has been doing is he starts his big front court, he starts Williams and Horford together, and then staggers them as they go. Usually Williams has been the first guy off uh, when it comes to rest, and then it has been Al Horford, and maybe it's an injury thing. But at this point right now, given the numbers that we have seen through five games, given what we have seen from Robert Williams in this series, in no universe as we move into game six back in Boston should Robert Williams be playing fewer minutes than Al Horford. Horford has been figured out, for lack of a better term. He was minus 19 last night for the Celtics. That's tied for the worst with Jalen Brown. Robert Williams, meanwhile, when every other legitimate role player, I say that because you know the uh, the bench players got in. Every guy who played one minute last night um, had a plus minus a plus six because they outscored the uh, the bench players um, uh, for Golden State in those minutes. But every single player, we'll call it, for the Celtics had a plus minus of zero or worse, and the zero was Peyton Pritchard who played five minutes last night. So everybody who registered double digits, all of them but one, had a plus minus that was a negative. And Robert Williams was plus 11. Think about that. Every single player on this team had a plus minus that was negative, And at the very least, a plus minus of minus 13 or, or excuse me, a minus, yeah, minus 13 or worse. Or minus 9, excuse me, or worse. That was smart who had the best one. Robert Williams was plus 11. He's their best option. He's their best option. And given that, given what you're talking about with the numbers that I gave you in terms of outscoring the Warriors when he's out there being, uh, versus being outscored when he's not out there, this is now, I think, when you're looking at how you adjust, the first one is give Robert Williams the keys. Robert Williams in this series, when we're talking about minutes load, um, last night, 30 minutes, 31 in game four, 26, 14, and 24. And, you know, he's been banged up a little bit here, and I know that health might have something to do with it, but it's time to kind of shift this over. It's time to give Robert Williams the keys at center. He has been their better option defensively. Horford has not played well in this drop coverage. He has been beat up by the Warriors. And to give Horford 30-plus minutes in three, or in three out of the five games up to this point, and at least 28 in all of them, he's averaging 30 in this series, and not allow Robert Williams, who has clearly been the better defensive option at center, I think that's the adjustment you got to make. So, And that speaks to what I kind of open up with this here, finals MVP. If they go on to win this series – and Robert Williams continues to do what he's doing in terms of his impact defensively. At 1,000 to 1, you can find him there. I got a little on it. I threw a little on it. It's just where that's when you're looking for value, right? Everybody's like, value, 18 to 1 on Andrew Wiggins, a guy who's never going to win this thing. No, that is not the case. It is going to be a guy like Robert Williams. So with that in mind, um, I can't wait for game six. This has been a really fun series. Even if the Celtics lose, uh, I cannot wait. And um, again, going back to the future ticket, I don't know if people really care about this, but uh, still have not really, I still haven't budged off of my stance that I'm going to uh, hedge that thing or not. So uh, who knows? Opinions change over the course of days. So we will see. Uh, but appreciate it as always. Uh, we're coming to the end of the regular season. So as I've said, I cannot thank you enough if you're listening to my voice right now, the way that you've taken in this content. It's been absolutely incredible. But a really fun time. This this is one, one season where I think we've really ratcheted up the coverage on a day-to-day basis of the league. And I think it, it can only get better as we approach next season too. I'm hoping that it can get better. I'm going to attempt to make everything better. Uh, you can always get better. Um, but again, thank you very much for listening. We'll have another one of these. Sorry it was again in the morning, but... Uh, late night last night, then had to get ready for doing some other stuff today. So we'll have these. This one will be immediately after game six on Thursday because I got no double duty then. We will talk to you on the next episode of Hardwood Handicappers, and I'll see you later today if you're listening to this when it came out on The Edge.